everyone, welcome to 12 Questions. This is Anna Valenzuela. Was I up all night watching the second season of The Promised Neverland? Yes, I was. Am I an anime geek? Yes, I am. I feel like a dick. Anyway, uh, just trying to come back to being alive, and I am so excited to introduce my very coherent, very awake, full of cold brew coffee co-host mr dave yates hey everybody thank you for being brave up top anna in the, in the <laughs> i honest, am honest and brave about your nerddom and lack of sleep you know that's just that's the way we like to kick off 12 questions <laughs> bravery and I, honesty i am if anything hashtag brave at all times mm -hmm. um I can't help it. You know, it's it's one of those things where I don't watch The Circle or 90 Day Fiance. You know, I want my human suffering and yelling to come in the form of cute animated Subtitles faces. and so, yes. animes. Yes, yes. Um, all right. So uh, could you read us that beautiful clarity statement? Sure can. Here we go. Welcome to 12 Questions. <clears throat> We believe that growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Our mission is to share our experience with guests who do the same. We're not affiliated with AA, NA, or any other 12-step organization. 12 Questions has absolutely no opinion on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. We're simply two people that happen to be in recovery that want to give hope to anyone struggling. Although some of our guests may be clean and sober, some of them are not or choose not to divulge. The purpose of the podcast is to learn more about ourselves and others. We only hope that you can learn something about yourselves by listening. Yeah! And I'm so excited for this guest to introduce themselves because he's been on the pod before. And this is the first time we're like doing it, like not in a public place, which is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, this is very exciting. Who are we speaking to today? Hey, I'm Liam. Uh, and I was just thinking about how I was on this podcast when it was just Anna. And I was basically shouting about my sobriety journey at Cantor's Deli <laughs> uh, in the middle of their busy, their busy time. It was, that you know, poor it was waitress, a weird... <laughs> that poor waitress like clearly didn't like could hear what we were talking about, uh, but didn't want to come near us because she didn't want us to know she could hear what we were talking about. And I was just like, dude, I'm shouting about my sobriety in the middle of fucking canners into a microphone. I think I think it's OK. I think yeah. I think we all know. If the, you think the integrity you're the... of Cantor's is not really. <laughs> yeah. And also, I think they had a meeting there for a long time. And also, I think that, like, uh, if you haven't, we're not the first people to yell about our, our recovery experience in Cantor's. No, no certainly. Uh, certainly, probably in that. Uh, what's the what's the club next to it called? Kibbit's Room. The kibitz room. I'm certainly they've hosted many relapses or is it, in that room. Is it the kibitz room? Like you're kibitzing? It's kib. It's kibitz. It's supposed to be kibitz, but California, yeah. so kibitz room. And also, it's oh. well, a kibitz is a school in Israel. Oh. And a well, kibitz yeah, is to schmooze. Yeah, the alcohol school next door. Yeah. The dark fucking corner of that restaurant. You want you want to learn how to put on a bad punk show? But you want to put learn how to put on the worst comedy open mic in uh, the history of comedy? I'm so glad you said it. That that open mic is woo. Uh, that mic, I I went once because I'll go anywhere once, and uh, the guy who hosted it was basically any man who swore he would immediately yell at them and shut them down and make them start over again. Any attractive young woman who swore he would ignore that. 
Yeah, and and if you're an in-between woman like myself, uh, could be man, could be woman, could be young, could be old, uh, he just, his dick turned into a question mark and he didn't know what to do. <laughs> I think you're attractive, Anna. Yeah, oh, well, thank you. Well, no, I wasn't. A pretty fishing. lady. Little, little age drogynous. Is that what we're yeah. trying to age get at? Age drogynous! <laughs> stealing that um amazing like amazing no i wasn't fishing but i i'm not i'm not sad i caught something thank you um mm -hmm. but uh yeah no i'm i'm so excited to have you back how has this um well how long ago has it been like let's ballpark it just to give the listeners like a, a trajectory three I years was, three years i was still living okay. with Stuart, so we know that yeah no it was within the past three years because i was driving then but I didn't have my own car. I actually had rented a car that week, so like I had parked in the parking lot to see to see a to see a, a you were it was a romantic rental, I'll call it that. Uh, which never happened. Oh, there were other reasons I'd rent the car too. No, no, it was my choice. It was my choice. It was a very like about to re-enter a healthy phase of my life, unhealthy phase of my life. Ah, yeah. Deal, and I realized that like. No, to be a healthy person, I need to start breaking old habits. Yeah, don't don't drag anybody through this next fucking trudge. <laughs> no, actually, actually, once I started like breaking unhealthy habits, my life got better. Oddly enough, no shit. What are you talking about? Are you crazy? <laughs> that's what you talking you're about, Liam. Yeah, speed, that's that's crazy talk. Um, I know no. it's not appropriate for sobriety podcast to say that, but. <laughs> We are one of the rare ones where we're not just like, come on and tell us your dirt. We'll try to, we'll, <laughs> we'll collect your dirt, but also we, we love the recovery of it all. Um, yeah, I mean, I found that like, you know, working on the, the shit uh, single is very helpful. And then I found that inside of a relationship, the shit will come up. That's been my experience. <laughs> then you get new shit. <laughs> I would actually ask you this because I I just made an assumption, but I realized like you're right here and it would be easier to ask you. Uh, when you're a woman in sobriety, is it easier to be in a relationship because men respect that boundary more than you saying I'm not interested? Because that would be my assumption. Oh, uh, I, no, no, oh. it's uh, no, 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 no. Um, it is if you are uh, in a relationship because they respect each other's boundaries far more. Um, oh. Does that make sense? So it's like you're someone's old lady. So people home wreck less. Yeah, they do home wreck. Um, right. But but if you're someone's old lady and that person is respected, you're then... saying in the rooms. Yes, I've someone's been old lady like we're in a fucking motorcycle club. Someone <laughs> I've been at like a year and a half clean. Somebody was just like, oh, yeah, you're so and so's old lady. And I was like, I hate that. I want to fight you. I am 21. Um, so like so it is a um, yeah. If you're you got someone... sober at 20. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And then Nerd. I started. I know. And then I started doing comedy when I had 12 years. What's wrong with me? Listen, if you're if you were sober, how were you able to emotionally manipulate your partner partner into a threesome? I mean, it's just like not not happening. I got that all out of the way before I got clean. In your teens? <laughs> it took me to my late 20s to work up to that level of drinking. Holy well, shit. I've always looked like the assistant bank manager of a B of A since like the third grade. So <laughs> 
I look, I, you know, I look responsible. Um, so that's been, that's been, that's been the story, but that's about me. Let's talk about you. Yeah. Did you ever, okay. Do you ever do the booger sugar? Go no. Bang. Uh, there's a reason for that. I, um, no one would let you fucking share because true. of a big schnoz. They're like, we can't, <laughs> we can't fucking bring cocaine oh. around. Here. I used to, I used to uh, sing she opera in high Kirby, school. She got a Kirby vacuum hanging from her fucking forehead. It's true. Hey, but, as a as a big nosed American, I, I I am offended by that. Yeah. Well, see, that's it's it's a completely okay for me to go at Anna because she's not Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it always it is really this God this is really terrible. But I can't tell you how many how many people of the chosen faith have walked up to me and been like so. Where are you from with the like Oh you, the, you you look Sephardic, absolutely. Yeah, with the hope in their eyes, like yeah. Um so it's I it's, have a nephew who's single. Yeah, yeah. Um no, I uh, no, this is just Aztec royalty, baby. Um Nice. Yeah, that's what I say. That's what I tell people. I was this is an Aztec princess nose. Um but no, I uh, I used to I used to sing uh, opera in high school, so uh, what I could do to a pipe of any kind was, uh, it was devastating. Um, and so, yeah, right. I had been not allowed to do many a drug because uh, either I talked too much or I was a real, uh, was a real hog, real, <laughs> real take up the whole, take up the whole puff, puff pass. You were, you were Bogart in the joints? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then... Um, and then, yeah, also when I was a, a kid, my dad um, partied in the 70s, you know, because he was a dad and he did so much coke, his um, his uh, gums had receded and he had to have this really disgusting surgery to pull the gums back down over his teeth. Mm. And I will never forget, he had to have his own silverware, his own plates, his own cups, because the smell of his mouth would like <laughs> oh infect God anything that he he put in his mouth and so um that really that really puts a, a damper on going out there and doing that booger sugar also both my parents had uh, massively deviated septums it was i mean <laughs> god bless your mom for putting up with yeah. that mouth i mean she was a nightmare of her own right like he was at least sober she was just like running crazy in these streets but like um it was uh yeah god bless all of us i just remember like being told don't drink out of the mac tonight cup because we had a McDonald's cup that had Mac tonight. Don't drink out of the Mac tonight cup. And I did one day and I threw up. That's how bad it was. Dude, so I, I never did drugs because uh, I'm one of the few people that those after that those school programs actually worked on. Aww. Like I actually took a look at like Coke addicts and crack. I mean, also I lived in New York City where you could just see crackheads when I was a kid in the 80s. Yeah. So it was like I could see the results of what they were talking about. And I was like, Okay, you know what? If that's what weed leads to, absolutely, I don't need to do that. I, I also I knew I would never make weed. it. Dude, that's, that's the what thing weed was weed leads to is crack. Weed, weed was not the, what weed leads to. Weed leads weed to was food. the gateway drug. Weed was the gateway drug. <laughs> that's that's what they told you. Yeah, well, I guess I mean I would. Yeah. I you know knowing that my how I my disease manifests, it's like if you put anything in front of me, I would have done it. You know, well, what I, mean? I, I act like I'm a, some kind of princess. I have shoe polish. Like I've done things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, so I was like, look, I guess I guess alcohol isn't a drug. So if I take that to too much, yeah. that's healthy. Right. Well, and that leads us into our first question. Like, 
you know, you talked about it on the pod last time, but like, how do you, how is experiencing surrender? Cause that takes a big surrender when you like, you're like, I have this rule, right? Like I'm, I'm just only going to do this, which was very much my experience. I'm only going to do these things and that's going to make me not have a problem. And then you realize right. you have a problem. What, um, like, what is your experience with surrender? Like, has it changed? Like, where, like, where have you been with that? You know, that's a very good question. I don't know if we talked about this, but I had to do a lot of that with my professional life. You know, mm. it's really funny. Like one of the things I really had to learn. And so I came to LA. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you don't know, I'm a comedian and I came to LA to, to kind of focus more on writing and producing, which is stuff I had been doing in New York. But the thing about New York is unless you get one of like four writing jobs, it, it just kind of like really you end up just doing gigs and it doesn't really lead anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so I came to L.A. to work more. Uh, but when you when you live in L.A., the problem is that you are so literally physically close to success. Like you like <laughs> drive by the studios, you see the billboards, you meet people who are doing stuff. And there are people that it just will break you. And it breaks everybody when they first move there. Mm. It's like not, it's just a thing that you have to learn to adapt. I mean, I moved there and I went to a show my friend was running and he just was a total mess. And he told me that moving to LA was a big mistake and he wished he hadn't done it and I shouldn't have done it. And I should go back to New York immediately. And I said, I, that would never happen to me. And then a year later, I was driving from San Francisco to LA, giving myself a big talking to about just like, you cannot let this keep getting you down because it's part of the process and you knew that when you moved there, right? So it's like taking the principles I'd learned, bless you, taking the principles I'd learned in the rooms and applying that to my professional life because I had learned how to let go of so many things in, in sobriety, learned how to do the third step over and over, turn shit over to my higher power, turn my love life over to my higher power, turn you know, aspects of my personal life that bother me now, my higher power. And I, I realized that I was not third stepping my own career. Mm -hmm. And I was also kind of placing my career above everything else in terms of how it affected my mental health. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I just like basically had to learn a whole new level of surrender because especially in Los Angeles, it's such a factory town. It's like such a career focused place. And it's all yeah. anyone wants to talk about. And it's the only reason really any, I mean, a lot of people grow up in LA, right? But if you move to LA, then you like to do comedy or to write or to act or whatever. Those are the only people you're surrounded by. Yeah. And so it just becomes the subject of every conversation. And anytime someone, you know, gets a gig, it's all about, I'm so happy for them. I fucking hate them. Like that's the attitude, right? <laughs> I'm and it's starting such a, I'm starting to say, and not about people in the, luckily I haven't gotten the, it had, that hasn't come back yet. It's right. I've had hints of it, but, um, well, like your my, friends aren't talented, so you don't, you won't have to worry about that. <laughs> ah, Dave, that's a fight. That's against you, man. That was, yeah, but no, he, no, I'm I, just kidding. No, my um hey, hey I'm I'm working, so I don't <laughs> Yeah, that's true. We're uh okay. Uh my my um my dude, uh, his parents just bought him a, a condo in West Hollywood and I nice. keep I keep telling this joke about it and in the joke I keep saying, um <clears throat> I keep saying, uh, uh, I, I, I'm happy for him, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get to live there, right? No, 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 it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit me. No. 
Oh, he's okay. got weird, like uh, autistic space issues. So okay. he got he got an apartment just big enough for him. Yeah, yeah. It's like a bird. It's like watching a bird doing made a mating dance for himself. Interesting. <laughs> and his parents bought him that. Stuart, I want to get invited to your house. It's just beautiful. Big enough for both of us, Stuart. It's Call. beautiful. Um, but Does he yeah. invite me to stay over there? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no. Um. <laughs> But you know, it's it's. But wait, so you tell that joke, and and you're like, uh, you're like, I'm happy for him. I think. I think, and that's. Right. I think that that's that's a good. That might be a good thing to just like adopt for comedy. Is just like I'm happy for them. I think. <laughs> you know, like, hmm, am I? Sure. Okay. True. It's just like uh, before I moved to Los Angeles, I knew L.A. is going to be L.A. It's not going to change. And the only thing that you do have control over is what goes on between your ears. That's the only right. thing you have control over. Mm -hmm. So it's just like L.A. is going to L.A. And just because you get an opportunity, it might make me feel jealous, but it doesn't mean that there's a shortage. Like the, the whole we were talking about a little bit before the podcast. Like I think one of the biggest uh, character defects that anybody in the entertainment industry engages in is the scarcity mentality mm, scarcity mindset it's, true. it's and it's not even just before you get anything it's while you have stuff i've watched people achieve some notoriety and think it's all going away tomorrow mm -hmm. and not to say that it hasn't happened that way but it's just like it never it's it's just a, a looming cloud it's just oh it's so and so got on kimmel or or fallon well, that means I'm never going to get there. Well, the show's not canceled. So, I mean, logically. If they can do it, you can too. I mean, luckily, I started in New York at a time when comedy wasn't cool. And like the bust, I mean, I started 25 years ago, right? And that's a hell of a thing for me to admit. I've literally been in this business my entire adult life. It's your biggest credit. It's my biggest credit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sadly, it's not. Um, I wish it was. Uh but the, but the thing is, like, because of that, uh, because I start, so basically it was like living in a small town, kind of, where just, you know, everybody mm -hmm. that you start with and everybody I knew kind of got TV credits right away and everybody got writing jobs right away. So, A, I learned how to deal with all those feelings. I got a lot of resentments over people, some people, but other people who were like really close friends of mine, I was like, fucking great. I'm never going to be a writer for The Daily Show, so why would I be mad that my friends are writers for The Daily Show? Hmm. Or like, God, my friend is a writer for Saturday Night Live. How fucking cool is that? And what I watched is the people who are successful and who stay successful, there are part of it is knowing how to like conduct yourself when things are going well for you. And it's not about going around announcing everything you have. And it's not about like kind of like just putting it in everyone's face and it's this and that. So it's like the past year, I've been very fortunate in that my own weird slice of comedy has never slowed down. I do like three things in comedy and they were all pandemic friendly things. So it's like my life has kind of gotten better a little bit, but I don't talk about that. Like I never talk about that because it's just all it does is it makes people upset, right? And mm -hmm. like it makes people upset when you say things like, I was able to move out of my shitty apartment into a slightly better apartment, you know, mm. or it's like if I can put down money on a Peloton and I pay it off monthly, right? We're Pelo and, friends, right? Are, we are Pelo friends, right? Yes. So, so it's like, 
But it, but because people know how much a Peloton a costs. Bike and a helmet, a fucking pole. I got a regular helmet. Yeah, bike. I mean that's the thing. It's I like, just, yeah, that's. A, I was so embarrassed to say it because I was like, oh yeah. I know as soon as people find out, I'm gonna lose three friends. So, and I oh, did. Just stop. Really? No, I'm serious. Because no. People are, People are just like, well, I'm having a tough year, and I you know, can't get on stage. I, and... Literally, I posted about having nine years sober on Facebook. I lost six friends on Facebook. Not That's that I give a, a shit yeah. about Facebook, but it's just like literally me succeeding at not killing myself – it's too much for you to handle. <laughs> that's that's so sad Dude. because first off, those people shouldn't like those people shouldn't unfriend you because here's the tea with Peloton is uh, you can create logins for those people that are unlimited. So like there's there are like 400 logins on my roommate's bike. I don't have a bike, but you, you I Peloton world. Just be just be a Peloton mooch. That's... No, yeah, well, no, it's right. David, it's like socialism. You're sharing what you have. It's not it's it's not a whole thing. It's it's just like you know, don't be a hater. Ask me for a login. I'll I'll make you a little login and like. I, I, I'll break it down a little simpler. Everybody eats. When right. when you're when you're succeeding, if you have an everybody eats mentality, I I, I think you're going to be okay. But yeah. the, you have to have an everybody eats mentality before you succeed to even have a chance at having that mentality. Like I I'm nowhere near successful in terms of notoriety, but I succeed in paying my bills with stand up, and I have an everybody eats mentality where it's like if I need a logo done or if I need a job like a, a, yeah. a edit done, I keep mm -hmm. the money within the circle of friends that I have. Right. Yep. And yeah. you know, part of my deal is I found a way to make money that helps other comics make money, right? 100%. And you know, it's just like it's a, it's kind of just a good thing to do, and it's like I you know, so it and I've I've done that my whole career. Right? I've helped I've helped other people get work. Um, and I, I've learned not to expect any favors back because you'll mm. never get them, yep. but it's like, it's like, then the expectation will kill you. <laughs> I had to listen. I had a very long talk with my sponsor. I have a new sponsor who's great. And we had a very long talk about that because there were certain resentments that were like fucking driving me crazy. And one thing we had to talk about over and over was like, you do things because you, you want to do them to be nice. And if people remember yeah. that, that's great. And if they don't, that's out of your control. And that's another surrender thing that I've had to really like to bring it back to your question. It's another surrender thing that I've really had to fucking let go is like, okay, you know what? I do what I do. And if other people want to help me out, that's great. But I'm an adult who's more than capable of, of working on my own shit. Yep. And if that's the way it's going to be, that's the way it's going to be. I don't like, and I don't, yeah. I, I don't sit at home and say, she owes me, she owes me, he owes me, she owes me. Uh, yeah. Because like, it's not a good look to tell people that. Well, also, it doesn't feel good. It does it not feel, feel good. good. It, it is it is cancer to both creativity and just kindness. And it just, it feels, it feels terrible. That was honestly coming up in this last anniversary. Um, I, I, I was reflecting <clears throat> on my first inventory and the most revelatory defect from my first four step was the unrealistic expectation because I am a very helpful person and I, and I want to, I'll drop everything for people. And if you don't do the same for me, it fucking really grinds my gears. And it's like, I don't say, Oh, so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so owes me. But what will happen is by the time I get to you and need you and you say, no, 
that's when I fucking put poison in my stomach. It's just like, yeah. I've done this and this, and you can't even fucking make time, you know, for me. Go fuck yourself, you know. But that, but it, that's still like that's still something that I thought I had a handle on that just started cropping up recently, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I say I say all that to say, Dave, I called you back last night. <laughs> <laughs> I know Dave definitely doesn't like when you don't text or call him back. <laughs> I know, I know that's, I know that is a pet peeve, and I'm really bad about getting back to people. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. we're busy Peloton. I, yeah, I have, I have unrealistic expectations of my good friends to, work, <laughs> to talk to me. Yes. I, it, yeah. No, no, it is a major no. character defect, yeah. you know, fuck and, and the, pro- the fuck me. Yeah, I love you, Dave. You're such a delight. Stop. Actually, me. I'll tell you a lot of the time I get texts from people and I spend a lot of time thinking about, God, what do I say? How involved do I want to get in conversation? Is this a thing? Is it going to turn into a whole three hour conversation? Do I have time to talk to people? I just fucking uh, get immobilized by social uh, interaction interesting and that's a type of insanity for sure to like get into that like (laughs) that that uh social anxiety within the four walls of your house just you and your peloton your peloton's like why are you acting so awkward Um, see you're bringing up the peloton a lot i can't exactly why i don't tell anybody i want to know i want to know what instructors you like i want to know your favorite of exercise (laughs) i want to know your classes i want to know everything Well, first of all, I've been in New York for the past month and a half, so I'm desperately missing my Peloton. I can't wait to get back to it. <laughs> yeah, but to answer your question, Jess King, uh, yes. Tunde. Okay. Uh, fucking, uh, God, what's her name? Kendall. Oh, yeah, Kendall. Those are my top three. Classic, uh, when I want to go a little slower, Dennis. Dennis. Dennis, I call him yoga boyfriend because I can't cycle. I have a back injury, so I can't cycle. So he, my only experience yeah. of Dennis is yoga and listening yeah. to him. On. I have a friend who calls him yoga daddy. So, Yes, yes. Um, but, the, but here's the thing about Peloton also that people don't tell you is really you can buy it on a payment plan and pay $60 a month. Like, and that's, that's as much as it costs. And it's like, for a I gym have, membership. Yeah. Or you can yeah. just buy the app for $10 a month. Right. And I fucking, I, my car's paid off. So I'm like, okay. Uh, and I yeah. paid off, I paid off my bike two years in advance. So like if, if I run out of money for three months, I won't worry about it getting repossessed. You know, that's and a that's, funny, that's such a funny idea of a repossessed Peloton bike. That's funny. It, it's a real <laughs> thing. It's a real fucking thing. And I don't think I could handle having my exercise bike repossessed. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I'll stop bringing it up, but I'm glad we had that talk. Um... It's like the first time, the first time I did a video, like, you know, I was showing a friend or an old friend, my apartment on zoom uh-huh. it just moved. And we got like, I just like, we went past the exercise bike. I was like, yeah, that's my exercise bike. Cause I, I don't really say Peloton. And she was like, is that a Peloton? And I could see like it really like registering to her like, oh yeah, he's got a bigger apartment and he's got a nice exercise bike. And it's just like, you know what Did she... Can we give them the benefit of the doubt? Nope. Can we just say that like maybe people aren't um, looking over your lane with jealousy? Can we just like assume that unless they say it? Sometimes. Okay. Yeah, I get Comments it. full of a lot of passive aggressive people. 
Yeah. So I know sometimes oh, I'm reading too much into comedy. <laughs> yeah, that's why Dave and I are. That's why Dave and I became fast friends because we're not passive aggressive people. We're aggressive right. aggressive people. Right, right, like, right. We'll, no, no. We will fight you in a parking lot. <laughs> no, I like you guys because I know where you stand. Like, I know where I stand with you. No, I'm serious, man. So I'm gonna aggressively ask the next question. Please do. <laughs> What has been uh, the most insane? To answer your next question, I will buy a rowing machine when I get back to LA. That's the next step. I love and a good, I, giving I love up a good my... row machine with water. I can't do that either. My hips are so fu Make sure Whoa. to do your hip stretches because Whoa. my hips are all fucked up. <laughs> and both of those things require hip flexibility and strength. So get yeah. that core, honey. Get those Robin core exercises going. <laughs> For those of you still listening to the podcast, we're going to get to question number two. Uh, Pillow talk. What is the most insane moment you've had either in or out of recovery? That's a good question. Insane moment. You know, it's... um. Say getting a Peloton. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I will fucking log off right now. <laughs> See, this is exactly why I don't talk about it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We have Anna beat a dead horse to death. Valentine's no, no. Toilet. So she's going to tag this shit into the ground. It's so you, you two are so uncomfortable, and I love it. I'm sorry. It's the fogwa of my day. I'm so sorry. It's so funny. It's like literally, you were just like, how can you tell that people aren't obsessed with it or like upset about it? <laughs> continue i'm sorry no it's good this covered for the fact that i uh just realized i did not read any of the questions you guys sent me you've done these questions week. before fool you're fine okay but i will tell you i don't know about insane because i've had a lot of insane experiences um but i will tell you the first drink i had and i was thinking about that because uh i was walking down queen's boulevard it was on queen's boulevard i was 14 years old and i was with my friend whose band had just played in college point and his uh, 40-something uh, bass instructor was giving us a ride home in his van. And he was, and my friend, God bless my friend Evan, he was like, hey, do you guys want to go to a strip club? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And his bass, his bass instructor was like, okay. And we ended up going to this like shitty hole-in-the-wall strip club in the middle of Queens. Like we were, there were five people in, in the customers in the bar and we were three of them we were the clearly what's that do you remember the name of the place i do not but i remember exactly where it was because it was across the street from a place that's still there called alpha donuts which is like an old-fashioned like donut shop in queens um and basically long story short like i watched this one stripper get a drug deal and i i was 14 i immediately understood these women hate us like it was just so clear like the vibe was so thickly like we fucking find these people disgusting that I was able to kind of relate to the strippers on a personal level. <laughs> like I would talk to them, I would joke around with them, I would acknowledge like what the what the whole deal was. And there was one who just like just ended up having breakfast with us because like just uh, she just got along with the three of us so well. Uh, and then like, you know, we made sure she got home safe. And but it's just like such a fucking mind fuck when you're 14 years old to be in a strip club and then having breakfast with a stripper so like, was your first drink inside a strip club it was my first my first drink with a was a five dollar it was you know in the 90s yeah. five dollar budweiser 
Wow. In 90s money, that's $25. That's exactly right. Do you remember your first drink, Anna? Because I, I have a I have a sneaking suspicion most addicts and alcoholics remember exactly where they were and <laughs> yeah. what brand it was. Um, It was an old English 40 and an Arizona wash. <laughs> we were in a we were in a wash and I drank the whole thing. And uh, what like, does a wash mean? It's like a um, it's a ditch that only fills with water when the monsoons happen. So it's like a naturally occurring like like water runoff area. And there's usually trees because that's where water collects. And so we were just hanging out in this like the bed of a wash. So like the bottom of it. And I was 13 years old and uh, I, I, I plowed through the the better part of a old English 40, like a champion. <laughs> How about you, Dave? <laughs> Mine was, uh, it was a warm Miller Genuine draft that my father left in the grass while he was cutting the lawn. So he was cutting the lawn and like he had a beer at like the top of the hill. And so like he'd get to the top of the hill and take a swig of the beer and then go back down the hill or go around the side or wherever he would go. And like it was in the, like a loop. He would do like like the, the track. So he took his sip and kept going and as soon as he got out of vision I, I i took a swig of the warm mgd and it was fucking awful you know it, it come to think of it i think a year before that i had done i was like my oh, so you just lied to the podcast i think so well i gotta think about it it was uh, there was a crab feed at uh that my school put on to raise money and uh we there was like a little itty bitty sip of wine in a cup and i tried that well, it was like now, box wine. Yeah. I think I realized my most craziest moment was uh, just now when Anna lied to us on the podcast. Ah, I wasn't trying to lie. I just don't remember. I didn't. I'm old. Okay. It's been a minute. Um, but yeah. So I think, yeah, that was like the first sip. And then a year later, the old English. Yeah. You're old. You're only 29. You're right. I'm 29. I'm age. What did you call it? Age androgynous. That I'm was age a, androgynous. A, age androgynous. I, I, I wish I could take credit for that. But uh, oh I God. will. That's I a will funny. When I write, when I, I write make in a script, dozens I will. of dollars doing stand-up comedy, guys. Dozens. Dozens. This is what I get paid the medium bucks for. Um, and Dave, made, Dave pays his rent with hot sauce, which is. I do. Uh, I do. Ooh, early hot sauce plug. So oh. what? Um, oh yeah, we have to plug a show I'm doing, and I, not now, but like at the end, I, I will forget if I don't say it right now. Yes. I'll yes. remember. I'll remember. Okay, thank you. Liam's only. He's like, these are my terms. I must be able to plug my show. <laughs> it is. It's true. It's like, and I had to say that because if I didn't, I would have forgotten. Because uh, so I do those, podcasts. Those who are still hanging on to this episode you this have no faith in this episode dave <laughs> this is sad this is dave you need to we're having a good time here um liam how do you make decisions in your life uh do you remember in grade school those mash folder things <laughs> shut up <laughs> yeah like m a s h told me not to yeah. go to school right yeah. one two three four yeah so uh, I'm going to marry a banker. Uh, I made that decision. I'm going to live in a house near a field. Fair okay. Um, you know, it's such a good question. I would say 50% of it is just gut decision. Like just saying yes or no in the moment. 
and 50% of it is overthinking it to death until the opportunity passes to make a decision. Yeah. Uh, and that is unfortunately my decision-making process in a nutshell, but, uh, I'm starting to learn to weigh pros and cons. Like I'm starting to learn to make informed decisions and, you know, like really just kind of talk things out with friends that I trust. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. I think too, uh, in the very beginning of being sober, I ran all my decisions by everybody because I was so scared of making the wrong decision sober because I had made so many wrong decisions drunk. But then like, as you go along, you realize that you do have gut instincts that you can trust. Mm -hmm. Like being a good judge of character does not necessarily mean that you're a judgmental prick. You know, that's just, it, it is a, it is a, it is a, a gift or a talent or an you know, like intuition. And, and I feel right. like sometimes that we'll convince ourselves that the, those, talents or abilities are bad just given the lens of recovery like oh i don't want to be judgmental we're all equal but like yeah i mean if you meet someone and you get a bad feeling about them like that's a good thing like to have that discernment in fact i would say being a judgmental prick makes you a worse judge of character because you're automatically just deciding the worst about something before you before you actually get to know mm -hmm. them you know and it's it, it, like to constantly just decide the worst about everything your life becomes worse. Exactly, but that's that is that is different. It's, and so to put the uh, intuition into the same category is something that, that you know that I I oftentimes will do because I don't ever want to be on the judgmental prick level. But then sometimes that I will stifle my judgments or my intuitions because of that. Like so, it's like a double-edged thing. And, and this is why the third step and the seventh step are bookends to each other or like sisters within the steps because- Interesting. Yeah, my sponsor and I were just talking about that as I am working a seventh step that is profoundly painful right now. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, the third step and the seventh step are very closely related. And if you were to sit down and read them in, um, in recovery literature, there's so many similarities. They can almost be the same chapter. Um, and, and that is that thing of like, you know, decision-making, uh, turning it over and, and our first, our first glimpse of, um, you know, our defects are oftentimes subverted assets or our defects are oftentimes protection mechanisms that we've, we've held on to and, uh, getting to the root of that fear is the natural extension of the faith gained in the third step and through making decisions i mean look at if you um if you ever god if you ever listen to one out of every three sh my shares you've heard me say this before but something i realized kind of early in sobriety is that like my defects of character are like a crutch and the thing is like when you have a broken leg and you need a crutch to walk around on because otherwise you're not going to be able to walk right Mm -hmm. But then what happens is sometimes you keep using that crutch past the point when you need it anymore. Mm -hmm. And then instead of becoming stronger, that leg becomes weaker again. Mm -hmm. And so you have to at some point put the crutch down and like that leg has to learn how to be strong on its own. Yeah. And so what happened was for me was a lot of my defects of character were these crutches that, uh, you know, everyone, you know, that like basically I was using to uh, Dave just posted something in the chat. Uh, 
<laughs> I just got distracted. I just posted that's, my, my that's cat's why being I a derailed. dick because I, I had a pillow in my hand that I was going to throw at my cat because he's fucking crawling around my vinyl records. Okay. So I was uh, just apologizing for so that image. Don't you abuse that sweet, sweet man. If he yeah. fucking scratches up my Grateful Dead records, I'm going to fucking feed him to a bear. <laughs> right, so, so this is what we're talking about, defects of character, right? Where it's yeah. <laughs> abusing your animal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting ahead of ourselves. I no, love no, but it. But anyway, it's just my point is just like, you know, I had to learn that basically my defects of character weren't making me stronger. They were making me feel stronger. Right. And once I peeled those away and once I got rid of my defense mechanisms, uh, the ones that I have got rid of, my life has gotten better because I've gotten stronger. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I assume that like the ability to make decisions has only increased through that process because you can learn to trust right. yourself more. That's exactly right. That. What is, what has been like the most interesting thing you've learned about yourself since the last time we talked? Oh God. Aside from the fact that LA is uh, is crushing your soul, because no, <laughs> by the time we talked about that, I I just like gotten through that. Good. Like really, like by the time we talked, I just like it took a good seven hour drive in a BMW, uh, <laughs> which by the way is the best fucking. Oh my God. I'm sorry, it was a five and a half hour drive because BMWs go fast. <laughs> um, One would say they're the Pelotons of cars. <laughs> you know, someday you guys will realize that you deserve to have nice things in your life. And then, I do. Uh, I'm and celebrating you. I am celebrating you. Dave is rev- well i'm celebrating you and also reveling in your discomfort with how you deserve it you do deserve to have i nice do deserve things. it you deserve and it i'll tell you what when uh when la opens up again i'll take you to the soho house and uh i'll show you how to live nicely i've been nice. i've been once and they stole my hat well they you know stole you, your you, hat? Left, you left your hat and and then someone in the fucking soho house took my hat you left your so, hat and they don't right. <laughs> and then some guy who probably makes four dollars an hour it was took like, my Grateful Dead hat. Took your Grateful Dead hat. And it's probably... <laughs> it's probably... Well, I don't want to say it. Yeah, no, but, no, uh, no. Say it. Say well, it. Well, it's probably at the bottom of a ditch somewhere. Yeah, exactly. That's There it is. There a it wash. Is. It's at no, the bottom of a wash. a wash. Yeah, with, with, with some Latina drinking an old English 40. <laughs> Going, yeah. ooh, a hat! Um... <laughs> So yeah, what's been the most interesting thing that you've learned in or the surprising. time? Surprising. What's the most surprising thing I've learned in the past three and a half years? You know, that's a really good question. And I think the answer is, uh, you know, I think, actually I can tell you, which is um, there are things that I thought I could not do because I would just never be able to do them. And I learned that I have the inner strength to do things to do. I could do anything, right? Yeah. So like there's certain things where I was always like, you know what, man, sitcom writing, right? Like I can write this and I can write this, but writing a sitcom is so hard. I'm a good joke writer. Mm-hmm. And then one thing that really, especially, well, first of all, I moved to LA and I started just forcing myself to sit down and write scripts. And I was like, okay, well, it turns out I can write a script, okay. And then during the pandemic, I really sat down and forced myself. I was like, I have literally nothing else to do now. I've been saying for the past year that I want to rent a cabin in the woods and just go and write. 
And now I've got my metaphorical cabin in the woods because I'm like, I'm just not able to go out because mm-hmm. I can get sick. And what I learned was if I actually focus and study and learn how to do the shit, mm-hmm. I can do it. Like literally the only thing that kept me thinking I was just a comedian slash joke writer when I moved to L.A. was the fact that I was afraid to try something new and fail. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And that's been the whole story of my life up until now is like anytime I've been afraid to do something, it's because anytime I have not done something, it's because I was afraid to do it. Yeah. And I was afraid to be bad at it. And I was afraid that I would be embarrassed publicly and humiliated. But like I wrote the two screenplays in lockdown and now they're both like they're both doing well in these fucking big contests, you know, and it's like they're they're kind of on their way to being seen read by certain people. And so it's like basically okay i can fucking do it it's just i don't i don't want to because i'm afraid of, of feeling embarrassed or feeling ashamed or, or, or feeling or like not, a failure not or not being good at something immediately that's usually what keeps me from doing new things is i'm afraid that if i try it i'm not going to be great at it immediately yeah and that's mm. this is gonna this is gonna sound completely pretentious but like when i first started doing stand-up i wasn't terrible at it and that like was the first thing in my life that I was like, like good at, like, like not good at, like I wasn't super funny, but like it, it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't hard for me to do, and like being a drunk piece of shit and like a and a, and a thief and everything. Like when I found stand up, I was like, oh, I'm not completely shit at this, and I, I've only like I just tried it. So like it, it's unfortunate that other things in my life, I try new things, and I'm like, oh fuck, I'm not good at this. Why, why bother? Right. And the thing about stand-up is there's that immediate gratification where a you get the laugh and it's gratifying and it pings the same thing that you know all the other addict shit pings but also you know right away if a joke you wrote works right Mm -hmm. whereas if i wanted to write a novel which i've been dying to do since i was a teenager it'll take me three years maybe to finish it and find out it's lousy and i should never have done it in the first place and that's just a fucking scary idea that i can spend that much that big a chunk of my life. And so the question becomes, am I writing this thing for the end result, which is to be a famous novelist and make a lot of money and get the Pulitzer Prize and a Nobel Prize or whatever? Or am I doing it because there's something inside me that I want to express and maybe no one will ever read it and I'll just have the satisfaction of writing something that I know that I enjoyed writing and that I felt was good. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I'm going to learn how to play guitar. I mean, I bought a guitar and I just had to come to New York for a while. But when I go back to L.A., I'm going to learn to play guitar. Because I, I want that. to. Yeah. I love that. And I, used it, to, I used to teach guitar lessons if you would like a hand. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to start with YouTube lessons because I feel deeply ashamed. There we go. No, no, it's true. I'm, I'm going to start with YouTube videos and then we'll talk. Or Once you I- could, my roommate is taking guitar um, over at the community college. You can do that as well. And that's kind of, I'm taking screenwriting at the community college. I'm taking. Oh, which I'm one? Taking, uh, Pasadena City College. And How it's is a, that? Excellent. Let's talk about it after the pod. It's excellent. Because um, I'll tell you what, I took a screenwriting class at LACC and I dropped it after two weeks because um my the professor told me I have no narrative sense and want to tell anti story, and now I cannot wait until one of these screenplays wins a contest so I can email her. Yeah, yeah. My um, 
uh, I've taken a couple of, I've taken a, a, you know, a couple few classes here in quarantine. And I think the class that I'm in currently is a uh, fraction of the cost of what I've spent previous and the best yeah. teacher, the best teacher I've had. So I'm taking, I'm taking filmmaking classes now. Nice. Cause that's something else I was desperately afraid to do. And then the lockdown happened and I said, dude, it's fucking now or never. You yeah. want to give it a shot? Just do it. Well, that was very much my experience with stand-up. I, you know, when I first uh, got clean, I started doing martial arts about 90 days in. I started doing martial arts. And I remember there was a moment where my sensei, I was shaking with fear in class of both screwing up, getting hurt. It was just all the fear that could happen. And he grabbed my hands and he said, do you trust that the system works? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, do you trust that I'm going to keep you safe? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, let's have fun. And so when I first started um, stand up, I told myself because I had done martial arts for, you know, a very long time that no one's good at that for like five to 10 years. And I said, you know right. what, you're a little older. And so what you're going to do is you're going to give yourself a couple years of to just suck out loud and to not be ashamed of it. Never be, never forget that you've, you've done seminars and tests and and competitions where like old men have beat your ass in front of everybody <laughs> you know they'll never forget the time that you got you know you kicked somebody too hard and they threw up and you got ejected from a competition like never forget the time that you know you were practicing a new technique in your house and you slipped and kneed <clears throat> yourself in the face and had to walk around with you know, a black eye and a busted nose because you need yourself in the face. Right. You know, so it was just like, this is not, I know most people experience public speaking as a um, fight or flight thing, but I just told myself like, this is fun. No one's going to hurt you. You're not going to hurt you. And, and it's going to be fine. And give yourself the runway to be shitty at something. But the other, the other thing, and this is why I laugh about this professor instead of being angry about it. Yeah. So two years ago, I started teaching myself how to be a screenwriter, right? Yeah. And in order to learn how to do it, I, I wrote a kind of a Mel Brooks style parody of um, buddy cop movies. Okay. And I had a couple of friends who know the genre look at it and they made suggestions and told me what worked and what didn't and what I needed to add, what I needed to take out. And because I knew that like story-wise, it didn't 100% work, I just threw in as many jokes as I could. Yeah. And then I just entered it into this contest called the Academy Nickel, which is run by the Academy Awards people. And it's like the number one most prestigious screenplay contest in the world and everybody and their mother uh, enters it. And uh, the screenplay placed, right? And I know it's a flawed screenplay, but I also know it's very funny, right? Yeah. So, and in fact, it would have gone further, except I got all the judges notes at the end of the thing. And one of the judges hated that I prioritized uh, joke telling over everything. Oh. I was like, really? In a comedy? I had too many jokes? Okay. Um, I once didn't get a, a hosting gig because the notes came back that we were too funny. Right. I was I like, mean, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> you wait, wait, what kind of hosting gig was that? It was like for some Food Network web show. It was very dumb. But um, oh, yeah, was, so they, yeah. they wanted you to just talk about food. They didn't want you to like fucking have a personality. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I, I get that. And so fucking, uh, so this woman is telling me like, just like, I'm supposed to pitch these ideas to her and I pitch them to her and she's like, yeah, you know, that's just, uh, you just don't want to fucking, 
And we had just heard a guy pitch. His pitch for a short film was that he wanted to create an app for Starbucks where you could tip on your credit card. And that was the entire pitch. So... Wait, that's a, that was a pitch for a, a thing yeah. to write? Yeah, and so she was like very patient with him and spent a long time talking about, okay, well, who's the protagonist? Who's the antagonist? Where would this film take place? Uh, like really drawn it out of him. And then with me, she's like, yeah, no, you just, you don't, like you have no narrative sense. You don't want to tell a story. You want to tell Auntie's story. And I was sitting there in my apartment like, okay, you know what? I fucking placed in the Academy Nickel Fellowship. Like, I'm not going to say that out loud because it's just going to make this conversation way worse. But I have, I, <laughs> I have so many conge- like questions about that because like, I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering if, you know, there's some projections, some transference on her part. Like maybe she feels that way about her own writing. Oh my I'm, God. I'm wondering if, um, it is that thing of, uh, speaking of martial arts, if you really, really, really suck at something, uh, a Japanese sensei will just say, good, good. And walk away. They right. don't want to, they don't want to fuck with you. If you're really good, they'll give you three corrections that make you feel about this small, right. <laughs> but, um, but it's proof that they care. It's like a different, it's a different, uh, it's more shame-based, but it's, it's, it's just a different mentality about learning. So I'm wondering if like, but, but here's trying thing. to push you. One of these ideas, I then called my friend who works at a production company because we talked about working on a short film together and I just pitched it to him and he said, great, let's do it. And so we're going to do it when I get back to LA. Cool. Right. So it's like, the other thing is, okay. And this is just, I'm going to redact any names. She, I looked at her IMDb page. She wrote on one of the most notoriously terrible shows of the nineties, like just fact. And I'm going to tell you after the podcast, you're going to look it up and you're going to laugh your ass off. Her her husband, she bragged about her husband who co-created the other most notoriously terrible sitcom of the nineties. And it was in fact, one of my friend's first jobs. And I texted him immediately to say, this woman's husband is this guy who created this show. Do you want me to say hi for you? And he immediately texted back, do not say hi for me. And then we were talking about this whole back and forth. And he's like, yeah, do you think your professor is jealous because you're, uh, you have more experience and better connections than she does. I and I think, was like, I think I need, okay, go ahead. Keep going. And I was like, I would never tell her that. And also I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, she wrote on this show and he's like, yeah, you think your professor might be jealous because you're <laughs> more talented and have better connections than she does. And I was Liam. like, oh my God, you might be right. Liam. Well, it takes self-honesty in the face of criticism. Like it takes self-awareness right? You know? to be told you're bad when you know you're not, even if you might be, because uh, uh, I, again, like I am the king of self-loathing when I right. let myself be. But it's just like you have to be sometimes you have to be honest with yourself in the face of criticism to be like, no, that person's not right. And look, when I was 21 and I'd been doing comedy for two years and I wasn't that good. But then I would get people telling me I should get out of the business or whatever or like rejecting me for something I wanted. 
And I really like, it, would cru it was crushing. And then you spend a lot of time just awake at night, just saying, oh my God, I'm wasting my life. Am I wasting my life? Should I go to law school? Should I do this and that? And it takes a long time for you to just kind of like, whereas now, because I've been doing it for 25 years and I've been in this my whole adult life, it's a lot easier for me to say, this is a valid criticism and I need to work on it. Yeah. Or this is a blanket statement saying I suck and I have proof that that's not the case. Yeah. Right. I, I, I was told by my uh, one of the first comedy club owners <clears throat> of my uh, original home club that I would never be a feature comedian. Like, really? Like, you don't have 20 minutes. You'll never be a feature. Like, just really awful to me. And, like, I had it. And it's just, like, to look back on it now, it's like, I mean, being a feature is not hard. You're a dick. Like, it's not like, like, I'm not saying it, it didn't take work to get to where I am. You know what I'm saying? But like, you were right. telling me I couldn't even be a feature. And this is before, like, I knew shit from shit. But it's like, I knew I was funny enough. And like, I had to talk to other senior members of the comedy community. And they're like, yeah, fuck that guy. That guy sucks. And down the line, right. he's going to fuck over everybody in his life and have nobody. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened to this miserable fuck. He never went anywhere. Well, the thing the thing about stand-up is you have to get on the road and fail a lot. And in order to get that 20 to 30 minutes that you need as a feature, you have to go out and suck and get five good minutes and then build that five into 10 and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and the thing, I would always put a lot of pressure on myself to have a perfect professional 15, 30 right off the bat. And it's just never going to happen. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, it does require a bit of humility to look at in those situations when somebody, not to say that those resentments weren't justified, but, you know, when that teacher said that to you, you went on a campaign, you went on a search mission. You were like, who's this bitch? Who does she know? You know what I mean? And that no, is- No, no, no. I didn't. Honestly, it was just like, it was so funny that she was so proud of her husband for the show. Aww. And again, I'm going to tell you after the podcast is over. And you will laugh your ass off oh, really? because, because it's a show that I have long time uh, made fun of my friend for having written on. Oh, wow. Well, okay. It's like, well, it's a okay. running joke for, for years now between us. It is. It, but it is interesting to be able to like have the humility to take, to take a criticism and just to be like, I'm not going to personalize it. That person is wrong. And right. I don't know if I've mastered that. I don't know if I've, I've mastered that, you know, it is because what we're doing is it's vulnerable. It's somehow screenwriting is somehow in a way, like way more vulnerable for me than writing stand up because it reveals like my right. learning disorder stuff. And like, you know, it's like, I, I, I finally had to, I, I was talking to a mentor and he said, every time you don't write, you're not writing screenplays, you're leaving money on the table. Right. And he said, and he said, um, he goes, I want you to look at yourself in the mirror every day and call yourself a lazy idiot for not trying. <laughs> harder and i was like you're so mean he's mean though uh notoriously mean human and um but you kind of have to be when you're when you're when you're mentoring young professionals younger professionals who are less further down the ladder than yeah. you you sometimes have to be extremely blunt and say this is not working and this is why yeah but, there, but yeah. there's a difference between saying that and saying you suck and you have no sense of story yeah, that, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Two very different things. Yeah, she's wrong. She's wrong. But yeah. um, but yeah, it is. It is just interesting to me. And um, and the what? A, oh, go ahead. No, no, go no, please. Because I was gonna. No, please, tangent. you go. I was gonna say the problem. Also, he's right about 
that because there's an age you reach in stand-up where unfortunately you have to no longer do stand-up right where it's like you have to make a living in the creative arts to pay for the life that allows you to also do stand-up yeah and it's why a lot of comedians end up in, in the writing field because we can all write and we can yeah. all sit in a room and pitch jokes yeah right but it's like uh but unfortunately there's such a ceiling on how much you can earn in stand-up unless you're super lucky and get to be like jim gaffigan or aziz ansari or someone like that mm-hmm. it's like who uh, still put a gun to anybody's head in these in these streets and they might not know who Aziz is. Gaffigan, right. I, would, I, I would argue, like, but there's like literally, you talk to a normal human on the streets and be like, name five <clears throat> famous comedians. Yeah, it'd be like Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, maybe Jim Gaffigan, maybe Brian Regan. But oh, you're gonna get Jeff Dunham. Jeff Dunham, absolutely, and yeah. uh, Terry, uh, what's his name? Uh, Fader. Terry Terry Tater. Oh, Fader, Fader is the other puppet guy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no women. No, no. I, you know what? I always bring up Maria Bamford, and people are like, "Who?" And I'm like, "Who is that? Fucking, are you fucking kidding me?" Yeah. But I mean, look, uh, it, we, we'll we'll move to this next question because it, it we were talking just it's about being honest with your self worth. It's being honest when you're taking criticism. Liam, how honest are you with yourself and the people around you? Hello there. This is Nicole Yates, host of the DigiE podcast. Join me each Thursday as I talk to all sorts of interesting people from all over the place about food and life. Because really, isn't that all that matters anyway? That's every Thursday on the DigiE podcast, available everywhere you get your podcasts. And hey, DigiE? You know, I'm learning to be more honest, and it's because. Uh... I have a real problem with people pleasing, which I'm learning to get over. Um, and I have a real problem with asserting myself and the things I want and need. And I still like, even when I try to express myself in a healthy way, it sometimes can come out all wrong because I'm just so used to either deferring or being angry. And I, I really am having trouble navigating that middle path where you're just saying, this is what I think and this is what I want. And even if uh, I can't have it, I just want you to know that that this is this is what I need right now yeah. in this moment. Well, it requires and, so much authenticity, you know, and, and um, you know, c- continue. But yeah, it's the authenticity is incredibly hard. But the other thing, and this is gets back to stand up, and I think this is something that is, I think the two of you can agree with. It's being honest with yourself about how much you're worth financially. Woo! You know, and it's something that I'm coming to grips with. Of like, I yell at people about their worth, their money worth, in stand up because I wish someone did that to me in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I, I had a host in my feature. Uh, this past two weeks ago in Chicago and I just was yelling at them like you should not take a gig unless you're making this much money it doesn't matter how good you are at stand up it's just this needs to be the number in your brain for you to go do something like we're about to do I I actually want to talk to my uh, stats teacher about like um, like a quantifiable like standard want a formula I want a formula I want a formula I can just hand to people you know what I mean and just be right. like if you're driving this amount of distance, this amount of time, you know, like 
this amount of, ex, you know, this amount of, you know, exposure or whatever, yeah. like yeah. you got to be able to, to weigh the pros and cons of every gig, but also have some value for yourself. Cause you're right. Well, a lot of us are undercutting each other. Well, this, The standard formula would be, it's like, it, it, you need to make as much as you'd be making at a job. You wouldn't like to do this job. I mean, right. in the beginning, you got to take a lot of losses and a lot of hits just to get the stage time. But eventually it becomes, okay, here's the amount of hours driving, flying, walking, jumping, and the amount of time on stage, and here's the amount of money. Am I making $15 an hour? Hmm. Yeah. Or I am I making correct. fucking $6 an hour? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, I think, especially with stand-up comedy, right, it's like it feels so good on stage mm -hmm. when you're doing well. to do it for nothing. Mm -hmm. And and you, I feel guilty because I feel guilty about getting – but it's like, I remember a few years ago, a friend of mine worked with a or Jewish organization that was looking to have a comedian for their fucking thing. And as a friend of mine, I was like, God, to get paid to fly out and hang out with my friend for a week would be amazing. And also to do a show on top of that would be a cherry. And I was like, you know what? And I was very honest with them. I, they asked me how much money I wanted. And what I normally would say was, let me know what your budget is and let me know what you're planning. And then we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. But instead, I just said, this is 10% of what I should be asking for. But if you take care of me and you fly me out and you put me up in a hotel, fucking whatever. And I realized afterwards, uh, I immediately set myself up as someone who wasn't worth uh, hiring. They ended up hiring a shitty improv group for like 20 times what I asked for just because that shitty improv group asked for 20 times and therefore was yep. 20 times more professional in their eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's wild it's it's super wild and and a where it comes into play you know you would mention people pleasing and the thing i always try to remember about people pleasing is that it is not a cute defect it is manipulation it is dishonesty it is trying to and i know i mention it every time but it's 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 affecting the way that you present yourself with um to emphasize an outcome whether that outcome is acceptance whether that outcome is more work, whether that outcome is, you know, this, that, or the other thing, it's trying to manipulate people for a specific result. And it's, uh, it does not feel good to be on the receiving end of it. And the right. repercussions of doing it are always incredibly high. And too, it gives you a lot of anxiety when you're trying to people please, even yes. though we're in a, arguably like our jobs are to please people. So that's like, that's, that, <laughs> that's the mind fuck. It's like, how do I, how do I please the people without pleasing the people? You please you know? the audience, but. Well, no, but it's, I mean, it goes beyond that. I mean, you want to be easy to work with. You want to get yeah. asked back. You got to please, like, you got to be kind to the people around you. Just because you're not, just because you're not people pleasing doesn't mean you're an asshole. It just means I that know. you're authentic. And yeah. sometimes that can be uncomfortable, but that authenticity is valuable. When you when you reduce the amount of people pleasing, you reduce the amount of anxiety. Absolutely, with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you never have to be afraid of like who you are, like who I present myself to be for the next one. You know what I mean? It's like it's like you don't. It, it, my people pleasing got so bad, I'd be in line at a open mic or at a like audition sort of open mic, and um and I would be in nothing but fear and anxiety because who I present myself to all these different people was shifting and changing all the time. It was not only exhausting, but some days I don't want to be the maternal influence to a, a flock of young men that can't clean under their nails. 
You know what I mean? Like some days I just want to be me. And, um, and in the last like two, three years, I've had to really shed that and it's been very uncomfortable. And it brings us to our next question. Like, what is your next, like, what is, what is your experience of fear and anxiety? Like for me, people pleasing really triggers that. What, what is that for you? Like, how do you experience fear and anxiety and what is your response to it? Well, I mean, I, I experienced it, uh, first of all, as a literal, literal physical man manifestation, mm -hmm. right? Where it's Thanks. like, I, I have started getting panic attacks in sobriety. Mm -hmm. I got them outside of sobriety, but I didn't know what they were. Um, yes, sames. You know, and it's just like, uh, I just would get drunk after I had one and not think about it anymore. Yeah. Uh, there were a bunch of emergency rooms I owed money to for a while because I would just, you know, it feels like you're dying, right? Yeah. So uh, there's that. There was a year when, uh, when I was just flying back and forth to New York because people kept dying in my family. And it's like I was just having endless panic attacks. But also I wasn't doing things to take care of myself, right? So it's like... I was on a Delta flight back from New York to LA, switched from one plane to the other. On the second plane, I said, you know what? I haven't had any coffee. I feel good. Let me have a cup of coffee. I started to feel like shitty, like panicky. So then I had a second cup of coffee and I was like, I started to feel worse. And I was like, okay, well, in order to calm down, I'm going to have another cup of coffee. It's that third coffee that'll get you right where you need to be. <laughs> what if I told you I had six cups of coffee uh, from Detroit to Los Angeles and I came off the plane feeling like a wreck? But it's that addict mentality. Just, you should have just done some math. <laughs> Jesus. <Yeah. laughs> you know, flight attendants won't bring you methamphetamine, <laughs> but they'll... Not anymore. They won't. Anymore. <laughs> there, was a, there was the golden age of air. air oh air my God! Air. A little tootly woodly. <laughs> Every flight was on time. <laughs> yeah. Would you like some hey. meth in a in a fucking bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but it's like it's that addict mentality of like, God, I'm feeling worse. The next the, the next one will be what gets me straight, yep. right? And it's like the worse you feel, the more you have to do it. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was getting on. Uh, I was it was about twenty minutes before I was about to be on television for the very first time. Oh, and, what show? Uh, well, a little roast battle, but like so, so I'm holding I'm holding my little drink there. I'm holding my um I'm holding my Red Bull Red Bull in my hand, and Jeff Ross of all people puts his hand over the top of the Red Bull and he goes, "I think you've had enough." <laughs> <laughs> And I will never forget that. I was just like, what do you mean? Ah! <laughs> like, <laughs> Can I tell you, I first got sober uh, and I, God, right after I got sober, I got asked to be on a TV show and it's filming out in San Bernardino. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I know the one. Which one? Laughs? No, it was something else. It was uh, oh. called Caroline Ray and Friends. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, knew, I used to know Caroline in New York. And so Aww. she like was a fan of mine. She asked me to be on her show. It was great. Love it. She, uh, yelled but, at, she yelled at me once at a club. For... <laughs> well, you probably deserved it. Caroline's no, fantastic. she yelled at me for something another comic said because she thought I was that comic. Oh yeah, that'll do. That'll. <laughs> it happens. Sorry, I didn't love mean her. to derail it, but I, I don't think no, she's no, no. a bad lady. But she definitely yelled at me. <laughs> I think she's the greatest. Um, <laughs> uh, but our hotel is right next to uh, an IHOP. And so it was my birthday also. And so I was like newly sober, fucking de so depressed. I couldn't oh, even jack off. Pancake and fucking, party. Oh, right. So oh, midnight oh. on my birthday, I went next door, fucking ordered a stack of pancakes, 
housed them. Then I ordered a stack of blueberry pancakes, fucking housed them. Then I ordered, then I ordered a stack of uh, like chocolate chip pancakes, and the waitress just said, "Ah, oh, honey, you had enough." What? And I fucking got cut off at the IHOP. Do you have a joke about that? That's amazing. I started telling that because it just is such a funny story. <laughs> but it was just got, like cut off so, in an IHOP. Such a fucking. And by the way, IHOP at like one in the morning in San Bernardino. <laughs> Not a place anyone's ever been cut off from anything in their lives. No. There, no. There are people with open sores in that IHOP. Again, you could have ordered Ooh. meth and gotten that. <laughs> I got on I got on the bus to go to the theater the next morning, you know, because that's how classy the production was. And on the bus, two people who knew each other from rehab had a reunion. Like that's San Bernardino. I love, I love it. I love, I love everything about that story. That is, that is so funny. Cause it harkens back to a day you telling that story in a meeting lets me know approximately how much time you have. Because right. now what happens is people get like, they get in the program, they go to rehab and they like, they start vaping and get really buff. Right. <laughs> they don't buy a pack of cigarettes and eight stacks of pancakes. It's a different time, kiddos. Like, <laughs> it's a different time. People are having glow ups coming out of rehab. Crazy as a shit house rat, but you know they can they can bench. <laughs> so it's so funny. Like sometimes I'll be in a Zoom meeting and I'll be like, oh, I've never seen her before. She's cute. Under ninety days every single time. Liam, I was in Bangkok, Thailand. I'll Bangkok. Say you were. I'll I was in were. Bangkok, Thailand. In I a bet you were in a meeting, so desperate for a meeting. If I didn't get to that meeting, <clears> I was gonna, I was going to, uh, I was gonna have a locked up abroad moment. My my partner, my boy, my man was like killing me. He was killing me, and where I go to this meeting, and this gentleman walks in who looks like um like Marvel could cast him. He is half Australian, half Thai, covered in tattoos, looking like Jason Momoa and The Rock at the same time, so hot. And I was like, Anna, you know from years of experience that this person is gonna share, don't think those thoughts, this is a baby. You know this is a baby. You know this right. is a baby. You know it because, because you're attracted to that person. Don't you dare, don't you dare. And sure right. enough, they're like, does anybody have under 90 days? And he's like, I have 60 days. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> no, now, nowadays she, people. Yeah, she, she stops mid slide off the chair. She's like, <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. I was just like, holy, I, I was a man. I had not, it has been a while since I've seen somebody and been like, oh God, like, why are you that hot? I don't even trust you. You're so yeah. hot. I don't. Oh, God damn. <laughs> but they also have that like still drug body where like they've been doing so much cocaine that they fucking have no body fat. Right, right, right. And well, you know, and that's the thing is like the peace of mind that I have today and the level of self-acceptance that I have today is mm. so much higher, you know, like even in even in recovery, I've gone through phases where I've been you know, incredibly body dysmorphic, gotten very thin. I look at I look at pictures of myself when I did Rose Battle and I'm like, damn girl, you let yourself get small. And now it's like, I just want my body to be strong and healthy and happy and in line with my mind. That's really all I want. 
And I desire me more in that state than, you know, whatever external bullshit there is. Plus, it's really funny to be able to, like, do more push-ups than my boyfriend. I, f I flex on his ass all the time. Um. <laughs> I, yeah, it's it, honestly, like, for me, it's like I've started losing weight again. Um, and it's because I feel like I've stopped giving a shit about what I look like. Yeah. You, you look know, great, like by a, the way. Very handsome. No, thank you. Very no, no, handsome. no. I, I have hair I today. Have, I still have a lot of weight to lose. And it's just a fact. It's not like a self-hating thing. It's like for a personal comfort level, I have X amount left to yeah. lose. But I started doing yoga, which is something I was always afraid to do. Right? I, I, I started doing Pilates because our friend Leah Lamar was teaching Pilates on Zoom for a while. And mm -hmm. I was like, fuck it. If I don't like it, it's just Leah. She's yeah. not going to give a shit. Yeah. And it turned out I had enjoyed it. And like, I've started doing sit-ups again, but like the right way and not the way that like wrecked my back when I was 25. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like all this shit that I was like afraid to do for one reason or another, just, I, and, and once you do it, you're like, God, why was I afraid to fail at this? Like, you know, like nobody's going to remember, but me. Yeah. I, I, I know people say fear is a lack of faith, but I think faith is walking through your fear. And for me now, it's like, I had a really bad breakup about six years ago and it fucked me up for relationships. And then I dated a couple of people in an unhealthy way after that. And I really had to take a step back from relationships for a while. And that's, mm -hmm. I realized now that was part of the weight gain was just physically keeping other people oh, away from me. Absolutely. Like by making myself thing. unattractive, right? Because part of my people pleasing problem is I will date people I don't like because they're interested in me. And, you know, it's like the people that I am interested in, I'm afraid to ask out because in my brain, I'm still like that 17 year old that, that you know, was like so overweight that nobody was in attracted to them. Right. And it's like part of coming to terms with the fact that, you know, yes, I'm not perfect. I'm not physically perfect. I never will be that buff dude that you saw in Bangkok right? Like that's not going to be me, but I have a lot to offer to the right person. And it's going to take a lot of people saying no before I meet the person that I ask out, who's also interested in me, who I can like build a relationship with. There's a lid for every pot. You know what I mean? There's, yeah, like, there's, unless there's... it's Tupperware. <laughs> I always say you are somebody's fetish. It doesn't matter if you're a dwarf with a hairy mole, there's a dude out there who's been waiting to meet that's you. Right. I was saying that the other day we were in, I was in, near the West Hollywood Fortress of Solitude and we were walking down the street and I realized I was like in, in Eagle Rock, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm regular and in West Hollywood, I'm somebody's fetish. And that is <laughs> weird. That's weird. But it's, you know, but at the same time, again, I, I hope for you through this journey that it becomes less about how people perceive you and more about how you perceive yourself. That well, moment that was... you catch yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh, hello, glutes. Oh, right. hi. Oh, you showed up. You showed up this morning. Thank right. you. <laughs> you know, well, it's just like radical self-acceptance is surrender. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we have to let go of character defects that keep us unhealthy and mm -hmm. mentally and physically. Like, Liam, what defects of character would you say you've surrendered to or turned over the most? Competitiveness like Ooh. deep competitiveness and we all got into show business because we are at some level competitive i 
got over my fear of failing at stand-up when I was 19 because I watched an evening at the improv. And it was a sh an episode where every dude looked the same. They were dressed exactly the same in the same khakis and uh, like button down shirt and tie. And they all had the same exact kind of observational jokes and the same exact delivery. And what I said to myself was like, okay, I may never be the best comedian, but I, but these guys are an example of what gets you on television. I can at least be good enough to be on television. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, and it turned out I wasn't, but by the time I figured that out, I'd gotten good enough to be on television. Like, it's like, because I had that comedian, young comedian self delusion for a long time. By the time I figured out what I was doing wasn't working, I, I got my first TV gig. I mean, that's just like the way it was. Uh, and I know if there's a comedian out there now who's started within the past decade, who's listening to that, they're going to think that's insane. But there were less comics back then. It was easier to get on TV. That's just the fact of it. Mm. Um, like now there's 30,000 comedians. And also 30,000 platforms and 30,000 shows. And it's it's a it's right. a different... it's it, saying one's done like a like a, a a spot like that now it's it's almost like well that's the thing is like yeah. back then but even back then i did premium blend when i was 25 i probably saw you that was you one probably of my did. like late night great. uh was, late night. i was really I great I wasn't, allowed, I wasn't allowed cable television so <laughs> my parents but, were busy saving up for a peloton that's it <laughs> Boy, the jealousy coming out of you two, the passive aggressive energy. No, I'm celebrating no. you, Liam. Yeah. She's into it because she does the Peloton app, and, and I'm just right. busting balls. I'm obsessed. It's, it's a pretty good callback for this who's, episode. Who's your yoga instructor on Peloton? I like a Dennis, I like a Chelsea Jackson Roberts. I hate to tell you, I strictly yoga with Adrienne on YouTube. I adore, I like her. I will say that she talks too much for me. Here's the thing about yoga with Adrian. No, no, I get it. She never shuts up. It's the whole thing. I want like it's there's never a moment where she's just am doing I, yoga. Am I, am, I, am I yogaing in front of a mirror? I can't handle this. Here's here's the thing. You're absolutely right, and I know that that's not for everybody. Yeah. But also, I'm someone who needs to be talked through it, and I need to do it slowly. And so she does all her flows super slow. And she talks through every single aspect of it. And she talks you through the breathing and she reminds you to breathe. And it's like, she never shuts up, but she also never stops teaching. I'm gonna tell you right now, you're gonna fucks with Dennis and you're gonna fucks with Chelsea Jackson Roberts. I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna, I want them on this podcast. That's how much they, I love them. <laughs> they go too, honestly, they go too fast. Really? Even in the beginners yeah, yeah. and the slows? Oh, okay. Well, I would never do beginner because I already know all the poses. No, you are never. I am. I am never too uh, good to be a beginner. My I am. back hurts because I don't do yoga. <laughs> That's something I need to. I, I need to overcome. You yeah. Know, maybe if you had a Peloton, you'd uh, you'd be in a little bit better shape. Your back. Liam, be Liam, cook him up a, a login. Cook him up uh, a login on your bike. <laughs> I didn't know I could do that. Yep. I could. I'll do that for you. Yeah. I got a, I got a yoga mat. I, um, I'll roll it out. No, it's just nice to have the instruction. Anyway, there's I love Dennis. Dennis, I love his corny middle-aged classic rock guy energy. It's the best. 
It's so funny. Like I'm regretting tagging back to the Peloton because every time I do, you guys fucking jerk each other off about how great Peloton it's is. It's so good. Oh my god, the Listen. bar the bar classes have like helped my back so much. It's so good. I Listen, I Dave, believe, I'm, I believe you. I'm gonna I'm gonna call back to actually what we're supposed to be talking about. I'm saying. <laughs> When you say jerk each other off, I no longer feel embarrassed about geeking out about Peloton because yes, it is something that is like a little bit of like a a level above the basic, but also I don't have to feel embarrassed about that anymore because and guess what? Should you? And I work hard to it, I work yeah. hard to be a Peloton anything guy. Anything that you're doing to I work hard to like have a Soho House membership. Yeah. I work hard to live alone in an apartment that's better I don't than even yours. know. I don't it even know what a Soho to, house is. It's like, I don't a, even... it's like a you need a pass. It's a private members club. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a private members club. It's it's uh, very yeah. fancy and expensive. That will steal your hands. Yeah, it's not important. <laughs> but no, no, no. I, I'm a firm believer, and I and I will say this. I say all these things, and just because. I believe this. You can always make more money. You can't make more time. So doing whatever the fuck makes you feel good yes. and feel like you, right. you're rewarding yourself for your hard work is good. Because I, my, like my father worked till he died. He didn't get to retire. Mm -hmm. And for me, hearing people invest in their happiness and buy the Peloton or, you know what, get that extra pair of shoes that you, that's going to make you look good in that one outfit, okay? Because at the end of the fucking day, you can't make more time, so why not right. feel good in the moment? Especially, we don't do drugs and we don't drink anymore, right. so I'm going to fucking spend the money on a couple extra vinyls because it makes me feel good. Is it a fucking cumbersome medium? Absolutely. Do I have every single song in the world on this phone? Absolutely. But I like picking out the record and spinning it. Is it a waste of money? Probably. But I... I we all have a finite amount of time, so I'm going to enjoy it. So my I like, record collection is your Peloton. I like, Dave, that you threw in the shoes thing for the ladies. No, I'm a also shoe Also for dude. the dudes. I'm yeah. Yeah, fucking, I, I have probably like eight to ten different pairs of shoes. Dave, that I like. for my birthday, I'm getting a pair of uh, new MDXs, uh, black on black, so I can wear them on the road. Yeah. Uh, and I don't have to pack on stage a... shoes. Yeah, and so I don't have to. Um, I don't have to bring a separate pair of shoes to work out on. So I've got, yeah. a, I've got a fucking pair of glow in the dark white shoes that I, I just make me so happy, and I don't wear them because there's nowhere to wear them right now. I wear them but anywhere. Well, I mean, they're white on white glow in the dark shoes, and I don't go many places right now. But I'm saying, as soon as I go more places, them shits is coming out. But I've digressed. It's my no, no. This guys. is this is this is good because it gives me a chance to check my email. Yeah. You are so funny, Liam. And, and I'll forgive you for that, uh, Liam. How do you experience forgiveness? That is the next question. <clears throat> you know, it's tough. I fucking listen. My mom's family are Jewish. My dad's family are Irish. Holding a grudge is literally genetically imprinted in me. Like there's just, and that's not a joke. It's literally like, fucking Irish people are mad at. Uh, you know, Oliver Cromwell for something he did hundreds of years ago. And it's not like a general background anger either. It's like a, it's like a true, you bring up the name Oliver Cromwell and some guys in Ireland will get furious. Right. So it's like, uh, how do I experience forgiveness? What I have to remember is that when I forgive someone, it becomes a moment of grace for me. And it becomes a moment of letting go of an anger that's hurting me. And it's like, becomes a moment of saying, okay, 
I'm not always going to do this for the other person, but uh, when I do this for myself, it frees it frees me. Mm-hmm. I mean, my father died not of COVID, but he died during early COVID, and partly because just he couldn't really go to a doctor because senior citizens were being told to stay home unless it was a medical emergency. Mm-hmm. And so it's become a real exercise in practicing forgiveness to say, I can forgive the Trump family for creating a, a massive medical emergency that contributed to my father's death. Yeah. And I say that to you, even saying that out loud in the abstract, I'm getting angry just even talking about it. Right. And the truth is, there may never be a moment when I'm not angry at this family. But I can say I forgive them and I'm going to try to let go of the resentment because then it frees me of feeling angry at them every day and thinking about it all the time. Yeah, even if it just reduces the pressure in your brain by a couple percentage points, it's worth it. Yeah, or if it just because otherwise my resentments become a default when I'm sitting still and not thinking about anything in particular. Right. Or if I'm walking around, I'll suddenly remember something I'm angry about and get angry about it and it ruins my day. So it's all about like the grace, like the grace of saying, I'm willing to let go of resentment, even though this may never be resolved. Yeah. Mm. That's beautiful. That's so yeah. beautiful. Well, I'm very wise. No, I, you just take, you very know what, handsome, Liam? Very wise. I you am. take that. You take that goddamn compliment. I'm um, a fucking catch, baby. Hell yeah. What has been the most interesting um, or surprising amends you've given or received? Well, uh, it surprised the other person. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, that I'm never surprised by an amends I make because uh, one of the things about being constantly self-analyzing and self-critical is like, you know when you've done wrong, even when you don't want to admit it, even to yourself. You know at your gut level, you did something wrong. You get and you're a running gonna... 10 step in your brain all the time. Oh my God, All the dude. time, all the time. It's, ugh, right? especially being on a seven step right now, it's like every day I write down like any defects that cropped up and that, and that contrary actions involved. And it's just, ugh, it's so, it's, it's like looking at the inside of my farts. It's so weird every day. I'm just like, why? Anyway, continue. Okay. Um, But I'll tell you, I had a friend. He broke up with a woman. This is when I was drinking, back in the blogger days. Um, And it really broke him up. She turned out to be a crazy person anyway. And I don't call women crazy unless I can say that absolutely. (laughs) Like it might be a medical fact. Um, (laughs) But she had a burger blog. We were always friendly. Uh, she emailed me and asked me if I wanted to get a burger. And I realized in hindsight, I should have said no. But the truth is, I love eating burgers. And it was a uh, fucking burger place I'd always wanted to try. And I was like, why not go with someone who runs a, who has a fucking burger blog? Yeah, sounds fun. And then, anyway, long story short, then we went to another bar. And then it turned into a date. And we started making out. And at some point, she had this like ring she showed me with her name spelled out and what she said were diamonds. She's like, yeah, my grandfather gave this to me. It's like one of my most precious mementos. And I pretended to steal it and I put it in my coat pocket. And then I forgot to give it back to her, I guess, because I was drunk. And then um, I guess it was in my pants pocket because then she emailed me uh, the next day to ask if she could have it back. 
And I realized it was in my, I had washed it in the laundry. And when she emailed me, it was my clothes were in the dryer. So I ran back to the fucking laundromat. <laughs> and the ring was, the ring was there and a couple of the stones were missing. And then I gave it back to her. And then the next day went on a, on a, like a month and a half tour of Europe and I never saw her again. So uh, my buddy, after I got sober, is like, you know what, God, I really fucking owe this guy an amends because it's just a shitty thing to go out with this guy's ex, even though at that point it had been many, many years later. Like, it's not the right thing to do to make out with the guy's ex when he's like, just told you that day that he's fucking all heartbroken over it and he'll never get over it. And so I brought him to a bar and I laid the whole thing on him and he was like, yeah, no, I'm married with kids now. It's really, I didn't kind of a thing she told me that you guys had sex and i was like no we never had sex we just this happened he's like okay i believe you she's kind of nutty and i told him about the ring and he's like no i never heard of that i don't think that's true i don't think her grandfather gave that to her i'd never seen it before that sounds some like that sounds like some claire's in the mall bullshit you know yeah (laughs) yeah exactly but it was like it was like he i had spent years thinking he carried this resentment around with him and i'd spent so many years avoiding him because I thought, like, man, I can never make it right with this guy. This guy's just going to fucking die angry at me. He's going to hold on to the resentment forever. And then when, when I made the amends, he was like, yeah, no. Honestly, like, the best thing that ever happened, he was breaking up with her and meeting my meeting my wife. Like, you know, it's just like, you know, I, I'm not mad at all. Honestly. And he was like, when she told me you guys had sex, I wasn't even mad then. I was just like, it's just a thing that happens. Um, by the way, I never had sex with her. We made out a little bit, and that's the last time I really saw her. Okay. Except to give her a ring back. So uh, <laughs> that's why I say she's a little crazy. <laughs> um, you had it built up in your head worse than it was going to be. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's what the thing about, that's the thing that surprises me about amends over and over again is like, I go in it with a sense of dread, go in with a sense of like, this is a hurt that can never be repaired. And the truth is like, uh, there have been people who've accepted it and just never wanted to pursue a friendship again, which is totally understandable. And there's just people who you've dated who never want to talk to you again, which is also kind of totally understandable. But there's never like a sense of like, this is something that's unforgivable that cannot be like uh repaired right right yeah 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 and i i love that because it's a daily you know it, it you do those big ones and then it becomes a daily thing where you're just like you know like it, it stops being so scary i always find too that like some of my men's people are like what <laughs> you did what oh okay <laughs> well, the other thing and I, i've been trying i was trying to turn this into a stand-up bit before the world shut down for a year hello Hey, shut up. No, no, no. No, no. He's welcome. Oscar is welcome to talk. Um, (laughs) But the other thing I found is that women love men apologizing to them. It's like fucking going to a woman and saying, I was wrong and I'm sorry. So infrequently. I was just going to say. And usually when it does, it's like, I'm sorry that that you felt that way. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to light you on fire. I fucking hate you. How did you turn an apology into a microaggression? I hope your dick falls off. And hair, just hair grows in its place. But it's true. (laughs) But when you make an amends sincerely 
and you make sure not to put it on the other person mm -hmm. and you take full responsibility for your part, even if they did something also that was fucked up and wrong. But you say, you know what, today, just for today, I'm going to say I'm sorry and not not put it on the other person and do all I statements. Women get that so rarely that they yeah. fucking love it. Like yeah. It's like the greatest fucking thing. Open every day with an apology, gentlemen. You will never be. <laughs> it's no joke. A sincere, well thought out apology. You will never be lonely again. Well, in a relationship. If you want to be a soy boy cook, you can do that. Dude, I'm a total beta soy boy. <laughs> you beta male. <laughs> Here's the thing. Do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? Do you want to be happy in your relationship or do you want to fucking wake up every day knowing you won? See, I like this ter uh, this uh, turn of phrase of that one. It's like, do you want to be happy or do you want to be or do you want to be right or do you want to be free? That's that's the Ooh, yeah. Do you want to be right or do you want to be free? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, and that that gives you a little bit of daily freedom, and I love that. Like, what is your what is your daily get down? Like your daily spiritual practice that you know. I mean, honestly, I've been staying with my mom for now a month and a half or two months almost. I'm almost at the point where I can get back to L.A., but things keep happening in New York, which is good. Like, it's all good things. And also, I'm very grateful I can help my mom out with stuff. Yeah. Like, now that she's vaccinated, I can actually be here and also go do stuff and not worry that I'm going to bring something back that kills her. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I have a lot of gratitude for that. That being said... When you spend that much time with a parent, you fucking lose your spiritual practice because some days you're just fucking head is like, oh my God, I might fucking kill this person. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, uh, but I do have a, I do have a spiritual practice. Uh, like I said, I have a sponsor. When I do the work that my sponsor tells me to, it involves the seven step prayer and the third step prayer. Um, I don't always remember to do it. I have I will call myself out on that. I'm not great at I'm not great at doing the thing every day. I'm not great at doing a daily 10 step either. But the important thing is to, like I keep in touch with my higher power and I do I do do that regularly. Nice. Um and you know for a while especially when I moved to LA I would go to the beach once a week just to do like a meditation and a prayer to my higher power and like keep in touch with my higher power. Well, and that's uh, the 11th question. So what would you, how would you describe that relationship with your higher power? I always say my higher power is a trickster God, like Loki. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Not like the Marvel comics, Loki, like the real fucking Loki. Yeah. 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 Just like a, like uh, my, my, my higher power has a sense of humor. That's the yeah. one thing I know for sure. Like, yeah. And you know, and the truth is I'm not a God guy. I was mm -hmm. raised in a Buddhist sect. Some would call it a cult. Um, but Liam, <laughs> I think we <laughs> talked about this before. Just the we end did. of the podcast, the biggest hold everything one hour of talking about growing up in a Buddhist cult. <laughs> right, right. Wow. Buddhist prosperity cult, right? So um, it was what it was. As far as those things go, it was pretty fucking benign. So I don't. I don't okay. hold the grudge, and I still love the spiritual practice of it. Actually, like it wasn't wild, wild country, but it was also still a cult. No, it wasn't. Like, here's the thing: it was halfway to Scientology, <laughs> um, but there was never any pressure to stay in or to to never leave. 
Cool. So, yeah. And again, the spiritual practice itself is dope. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's still about sitting down every day and doing prayers of gratitude and listing out the things you want out of life and fucking connecting with your higher power. So I'm not a God guy and my higher power isn't Jesus Christ, right? But I do believe there is like a fucking connecting power in the universe that bind, like kind of like the force, it binds us all together. And I do believe in karma and I do believe that the way you behave affects the world around you in certain ways. And part of that is mystical and part of that is just, if you're a shitty person, your life is shitty. Like that's just the way it always is, yeah. right? Yeah. So I have a higher power that's a loving force that guides me and that sometimes sends me messages uh, that are very unmistakably loud and clear things that need to be received by me. Yeah. I once, I think this happened after we talked. I once went to the beach uh, and just prayed into the sunset. And that's the great thing about LA is you can do that year round is just yeah. pray into the sunset. And I said, you know, to my higher power, like, look, can you just fucking tell me what, how it is I can be successful while also helping people around me. Yeah. And then two days later I got an Uber driver cause I was feeling too lazy to fucking walk from uh, Hollywood and Highland to my apartment on Western and Hollywood. <laughs> and we got stuck in traffic and the guy spent 30 minutes just laying out who I was and what my life was and what, why I was in comedy. And it was the fucking craziest, most spiritual thing. Like literally at one point he said, you know, your, your life is still affected by what people told you in high school. Right. And the way people treated you in high school. And the thing you have to remember is you're not in high school anymore. You're not that person anymore. You don't see those people anymore. Their opinions of you don't matter anymore. Other people's opinion of you don't matter anymore. So why are you still living life like that? Yeah. I gave this guy the maximum allowable tip on the app, which is $30 if you're wondering. Wow. Um, because he fucking was just the messenger for my higher power that I guess my, I almost felt like my higher power is like, all right, stop asking. I'll just fucking lay it out for you and you can do with the information as you wish. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, oh my if you gosh! Open yourself up to see shit. You'll you'll see shit if you keep and, your mind closed. You're not going to see anything, dude. And as he dropped me off, I opened the door and he said, "So why are you in comedy?" And I said, "Well, you know, I want to make people laugh, this and that." And he's like, "No, why are you in comedy?" And I said, "Why?" And then he fucking laid it out for me, and it's a couple of guiding principles that I still live my life by this day. What was and it? Uh, that's something uh, that's between me to and the super driver. The Patreon. <laughs> oh my god! Subscribe to Liam Meganini's Patreon. No, uh, it's just like something that I've decided. I talked about it in a couple meetings, and it didn't feel right. And oh. I just decided, like, that's something between me, my higher power, and the Uber driver that delivered the message. Okay, yeah. I respect that. That's yeah. amazing. Your close to the chest. That's exactly right. So, yeah. who's my higher power? My higher power is a fucking loving force that sometimes asserts itself and sometimes lets me fucking figure shit out on my own because you also need to do that as a human being. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. We did it. That's we did it. Last Round question. two. That's the last question. One more, one more. Last question. What is, what is one thing you would tell somebody just like you in the world? In what sense? Well, if you were the Uber driver, what would you tell, what would you tell that person? You know what? 
here's something I had to learn the hard way, and it took me a very long time to internalize this, which is when you get the victories in life, enjoy them. Don't second yeah. guess them. Don't tell yourself you don't deserve them because mm. you get a lot of good things in life. And there's two kinds of people. There's the people who just enjoy it and know that they deserve it and have fun. And then there's the people who second guess it and are miserable during the good times because they can't enjoy the good times anymore. Yeah. And I was always that second person. And uh, like Oscar, I'm learning how to be the first kind of person. <laughs> he is my space alien cat is commuting with the Martians. And it's that concludes wild. the 12 questions. Liam, where can people find you? And, and what is the show you have to promote? promote? Yeah, please do tell. Uh, you, they can find me at heyitsliam.com. And uh, on Twitter, I'm heyitsliam. On Instagram, I'm Radio Liam. And I'm doing a show. It's my first headlining gig since uh, the shutdown. And it's also celebrating my 25 years in stand-up comedy at a theater in downtown New York called the Crane Theater. Uh, in-person tickets sold out immediately, um, which is partly because I'm super famous, mm, but mostly yeah. because they had to shut down capacity because they want, they've brought, they're following CDC guidelines really closely. Limited seating sellout is still a sellout. True. Uh, but if you pay $10, you can live stream it. And where can people May 8th. That? May 8th, 8 p.m. Uh, at uh, oh, 8 p.m. Eastern time. You can find it frigidnyc.com is, uh, is the production company's frigidnyc.com. Frigid or you can find the information at my website, heyitsliam.com. And also I will say uh, I'm not making any money off of this, not because I'm not worth it, but because it's a small theater company that's been yep. – supporting theater in new york for uh the last 30 years they've been part of my life this like literally my entire life my entire adult life uh they've been part of my life and a lot of small theaters and venues and comedy clubs have been really hit hard so for me it's like a no-brainer like fucking let me right. just do some money to raise money for you guys so let exactly. me do a show so frigidnyc.com or heyitsliam.com. Get your tickets right. for the show on May 8th. Uh, you're going to be supporting a venue that we want to keep open. So, And Liam is very funny. And That's I'm true. Very, very happy to call uh, him. And I'm handsome and wise. My, my humble friend. Yes. My, my most humblest friend. <laughs> and, very, and very fit and healthy and deserving of nice things. Well, I can be honest enough to say I'm not very hit and fit. Although I am surprisingly healthy. Oh, just take it. Take the compliment, Liam. Take it. Well, you're wrong. You don't. Okay. Are you a doctor? No. Okay. Thank you. Um, Dave, where can people find you? Yeah, um, Dave. All over the place. I'm I'm not famous, so uh, you can find me at Yates Comedy on Twitter and Instagram. Doing my mediocre uh, comedy stylings. Uh, you can go to hahahotsauce.com if you would like to buy some merch to help support. Um, so yeah, uh, Dave, can I, I ask you a question? Are you are you um, verified on Twitter? No, I am. Anyway, flex. Uh, I will also be at the uh, St. Louis Helium this weekend doing five shows uh, and making my, my living with stand-up comedy. So if you're in the St. Louis area, you can come fucking watch a show. <laughs> if you feel safe. Come on out.
Uh, nice. The profits will not be going to keep that venue open. They will be going to me to feed me and my cat, Jeffrey Pickles. Anna, no, where no, can no. people find you and this podcast? You can find me at Anna Via's Fun on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me at AnnaValenzuela.com since we're mentioning shows every Wednesday. Um, I'm the host of Self Care Comedy on. Um, on, it's a five day a week show. It's a, it's over Zoom. Um, we have some regulars. We have a very good time. Um, and you can find this show at Twelve Q Pod on all platforms, including Gmail. Please send us some questions because we want to answer your questions. Anna, can I ask you a question real quick? Audience questions, so we can do an all audience question. Twelve questions. Yes. Please. Anna, let me ask you. You mentioned Twitter. Are you verified on Twitter? I am actually. Because I am. Oh yeah, I'm not verified on Twitter, but oh, I am, yeah. um, you know, apparently the bar's really low, so I'm sure it's gonna happen for all of us someday. <laughs> yeah, you can get verified even if there's only two thousand people following you. You just have to email them. There's hope. No, <laughs> and, is that true? Yeah. Oh, because I just woke up one day and I was verified, and I was like, "All right." Someone likes you. That's heaven. I guess. I love that. I love that. Well, I, I, I honestly thought more than anything, and I'm not kidding. I was like, I could literally hear gonna... people canceling the digital tickets. No, no, no. Here's the thing. I was like, your shit. no, no. Here's the thing. I was like, who is gonna fucking pretend to be me with my three thousand followers on Twitter? It was more uh, weird than anything. Well, <laughs> it's true. Um... We we landed the plane. We did, we did. And my cat is my cat is fucking wiling out Jose from the dollop style in the background here. So we gotta go before he chews a hole through the wall. Um, what? Uh, how we end this, how po- we end this podcast? Every time is Leo. Every time. Every Here's the thing. Time. I'm gonna end it for you guys. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, I've really learned a lot. We love you, Liam. If no love one's you told too. you that today, we love we you. We love you. Anna, I love you too. I love you. And if no one's told you that today, uh, well, we love you. And if you're listening right now, if no one's told you this today, we podcast love you. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe, rate, review. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Bye.